Thank you, Isaac, and to our musicians. Okay, good to be sharing God's Word with you again. Today we're looking at John chapter 8. As I continue our look at this topic of Jesus as the light of the world, and we'll read from verses 12 to 19. our starting point. John chapter 8 verse 12. Then spake Jesus again unto them, saying, I am the light of the world. He that followeth me shall not walk in darkness, but shall have the light of life. The Pharisees therefore said unto him, Thou bearest record of thyself, thy record is not true. Jesus answered and said unto them, Though I bear record of myself, yet my record is true. For I know whence I came and whither I go, but you cannot tell whence I come and whither I go. You judge after the flesh, I judge no man. And yet if I judge, my judgment is true, for I am not alone. But I am the Father that sent me. It is also written in your law that the testimony of two men is true. I am one that bear witness of myself, and the Father that sent me beareth witness of me. Then said they unto him, Where is thy Father? Jesus answered, Ye neither know me nor my Father. If ye had known me, ye should have known my Father also. Let's commit this time to the Lord. We thank you, Heavenly Father, for your precious word. And we just thank you that we're able to read it, to trust it, and grow through it. And we pray your spirit will be working within our hearts even now, granting us the grace that we need to understand these words and that we might commit these not only to our minds but to our hearts. We thank you so much for the grace that you give us each day. And we pray that you would bless us now, that we might glorify you more fully in our lives. We thank you for all these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Okay. So, most of Australia was watching TV last night. Right? Proverbially, not proverbially, practically millions apparently were watching the soccer. And the hospitals are now full of people in emergency wards having had heart attacks and and various other things. Anyway, there were millions of people who watched a particular game, who saw it, and there were, I think, how many, 50,000, whatever, in the stadium that watched what was going on. And today, there's a whole lot of chatter going on and all the social media about what happened and how it happened and who was right, who was wrong, and how, how it affected them. And there are millions of what we would call witnesses to a particular event, okay? And I suppose it'd be pretty hard today to to go out and to dispute what happened because millions of witnesses saw what happened that it affected them. And they're today witnessing to other people about what they saw, what had happened. Today we're talking about being a witness. Okay. Today we're talking about providing a testimony. Okay. And today we're talking about this thing about bearing record. Last time we looked at this chapter, Jesus had made this astounding claim. I mean, he spoke differently to every other uh, teacher that had ever come before him or since. 
to make a claim that says, I am the light in that light with you. Now he says, I am the light. And he that followeth me shall not walk in darkness. And I spent some time explaining what light was and the various properties of light. And more importantly, what Jesus was actually declaring here. You see, he was declaring not only that he was the source of true light, which the Bible ascribes to God alone, but that also meant that he was actually making now no distinction between himself and God. Well, that ruffled a few feathers, didn't it? Because the stuff that he was saying crossed the boundary for some people. And they already didn't like him because he was saying stuff that was criticizing them. And so we had this conversation taking place now between Jesus and this group that are collectively known as the Pharisees. Okay, And the Pharisees, yeah, there were some that were okay. There were some, the majority of them were pretty bad. Um, and they get a pretty bad rap because Jesus had a number of encounters with them. And these were guys who knew a whole lot of stuff about the Bible, but managed to get it so wrong okay, that they were putting other people's eternal lives in jeopardy. And they were more, more focused upon themselves and everyone else. As we know very well, the scriptures are filled with testimony. Okay, What people saw they wrote down and that is bearing record okay so i want you to today we're going to i'm going to dis define these things for us first because bearing record we don't tend to say you know you know yesterday i bore record that i went to you know that i saw the soccer or something like that right but bearing record is the same as being a witness is the same as providing a testimony they are three phrases that we would use interchangeably, okay? And that's the same thing in the Bible here. So where, where Jesus, where they say, thou bearest record of thyself, or you're providing a testimony about yourself, okay? That's what they're saying about Jesus. But we know the whole Bible is a testimony about Jesus being the incarnate Son of God. He's the one that was promised from the beginning of time, after man fell, right to the end. It starts off with, him creating the actual universe. You see, these are the claims, not just that Jesus made himself, but the whole Bible speaks about. So turn with me just to John chapter 1, verse 1. Just to, I'm just going to give you one uh, passage here that makes that whole claim very, very clear. And John the Apostle wrote this particular thing because John was a witness of Jesus and spent a number of years with him under his ministry. So it says there, in the beginning, John 1, 1, was the Word. And the Word was with God, and the Word was God. Okay, so the question mark is, well, what's the Word then? Who is the Word? And then it says, the same was in the beginning with God. All things were made by Him. And without Him was not anything made that was made. In Him was the life. And the life was the light of men. And the light shineth in darkness, and the darkness comprehendeth not. Who's the word? Jesus Christ. He is the light of the world. He is the light of men. And in him was life. Why? Because he actually created life. Okay? In him was that life. And he had come into the world to save mankind from his sin. 
to save us from the darkness that we got ourselves into. And today we are, what we are doing is merely examining the reaction that they gave to him. You see, he provided a testimony about himself. He made a claim about himself. He was a witness about himself. And we're going to now see the reaction that the Pharisees gave to him and this claim that he made. And in this reaction, we're going to discover that some people are so blind that despite the number of witnesses, they will not believe. Okay, so imagine today that someone came to you and said, hmm, I don't believe that a soccer match took place in Brisbane last night. What would you say? How would you respond to that? There are some people that despite the testimony from many sources still will not believe. And so the, the Pharisees immediately respond to him in verse 13 of John chapter 8. And the Pharisees therefore said unto him, Thou bearest record of thyself. Thy record is not true. Now before we look at their, their response in, in more detail and define exactly what they were saying in our vernacular, Okay, I want to look at this term, bearing record, and what that meant, that they said, you're bearing record of yourself. In order to understand this concept, I want to look at a number of other scripture passages. So turn with me first to Romans chapter 10, verse 1 to 3. Romans chapter 10, verse 1 to 3. Now we're going to look at three examples of bearing witness, and each of these are going to come from the Apostle Paul. And in this particular passage, Paul is speaking about Israel's rejection of Jesus. You see, the reason Israel and the majority of people who were Jewish haven't accepted Christ is that collectively, in, en masse, they rejected Jesus as their Messiah and the King, okay, whom God had promised from many years before. And so Paul is going to now bear record for them and about them. And it says in Romans chapter 10, verse 1, Brethren... And he's speaking to other Christians here. He says, My heart's desire and prayer to God for Israel is that they might be saved. For I bear them record that they have a zeal for God, but not according to knowledge. For they being ignorant of God's righteousness and going about to establish their own righteousness have not submitted themselves unto the righteousness of God. All right, so there's Paul's testimony about his own people, okay? And so first, firstly, Paul makes it very clear that he is not what you would call a hostile witness. Do you know what a hostile witness is? Someone who's got it in for the person who's being accused, okay? And who's probably likely to taint their testimony or to, or to mix their testimony up with their emotions because they hate that person, so they're going to give you a slanted testimony and untrustworthy testimony and paul firstly says here that he wants israel to be saved in other words he loves his people still okay he loves them he is not hostile he doesn't bear them any ill will and he says and he bears record and you'll notice here it says they have a zeal for god is that a good thing of course it's a good thing to be zealous for god to be passionate for god to want to do what god wants to please him well there's a there's a, a good uh, endorsement they have a passion for God he says but they're not doing it according to knowledge they're missing something in other words they're ignorant of the righteousness that comes from God through Jesus Christ 
which is given to people because of what he did. And rather, they were too busy trying to establish themselves and look righteous in front of God by their own efforts by keeping the law. to God by keeping the law. Because the only thing the law can actually do is condemn you. The law is not there to say that you're a good person. The law is only there to say every time you break it, you're a lawbreaker. And so the Bible then says that every person is a lawbreaker. And no one can go to God and say, oh God, you know what? Look, I broke 500 laws last year of your laws. But you know what? I kept this one. What's that worth? When you go before a judge and the judge is, you know, and you're there because you've broken a law, the judge doesn't say, oh, you know, you, you were driving at, you know, 200 kilometers an hour down the freeway instead of doing 100. And then you say to the judge, but judge, you know, when I was driving in the other day, I was doing 60 in a 60K zone and I was, and I was, you know, I parked illegally the other day and, uh, and I've got my registration in place. What's the judge going to say? Well, I don't really care about that sort of stuff. You broke this law, so you therefore have to... And so he was qualified to give a testimony. He was on the other side of the fence before he got saved. And he disputed a number of times with the Jews after he got saved. Paul was in a great position to provide testimony because his witness about Israel was based on his knowledge of them and his knowledge of the truth. You could call Paul an expert witness here. Let's keep looking at another example. Turn to 2 Corinthians chapter 8, verse 1. 2 Corinthians chapter 8, verse 1, and we'll read to verse 4. Now Paul is about to give testimony about a church. Okay? He's given testimony about the Jews, his people. Now he was going to give testimony about a church in a particular province. Actually, a few churches. And he says in uh, verse 1 of 2 Corinthians chapter 8, Moreover, brethren, we do you to wit of the grace of God bestowed on the churches of Macedonia. Take, take notice of, of the grace that God has given to the church of Macedonia. How that in a great trial of affliction... The abundance of their joy and their deep poverty abounded unto the riches of their liberality, which means their generosity. For to their power I bear record. Yea, and beyond their power they were willing of themselves, praying us with much entreaty, means begging him that he would that we would receive the gift. They wanted to give him money. And take this money with you. We want you to have it. And Paul's saying, no, we don't want it. Because he saw how poor they actually were. And he goes, beyond their ability, they gave. And they were entreating us, receive the gift. And take upon us the fellowship of the ministering of the saints. They wanted that fellowship with them. They knew it would be a blessing to Paul. But speaking to the church at Corinth, he's writing, Paul says, I bear record of how generous they actually were. They were so generous. They were poor and they were under great affliction. But despite all that, they wanted to give more than they were even able. And he uses this example as evidence. I've got something to say about that. And here's my testimony. You see those three things. 
work together. So what when Jesus said, I am the light of the world, look at now how the Pharisees respond to him. They essentially said, do you expect us to believe that you're the light of the world simply because you say it? I mean, who do you think you are? You know, you're a guy who's actually saying you're witnessing yourself. You witness yourself that you are the light of the world. They said, well, your testimony is not true. Your record isn't true. Why should we believe you that, that, that you are correct? Now, were there no other testimonies up at that point that were given about Jesus? Was he saying this thing in a complete void? Okay, and just out of the blue? No. No. I'm going to get you to go back to John chapter 2. And we're going to look at how many witnesses and testimonies there were up to that point. And we're going to discover that something was wrong here. Look at John chapter 2, verse 11. The first miracle that Jesus did was the wedding of Cana. So it says in John chapter 2, verse 11... And I'm not going to read the whole thing because we won't have time to do all of it, but take your time if you, if you want to write, write this reference down. It says, This beginning of miracles did Jesus in Cana of Galilee and manifested forth his glory and his disciples believed on him. Who was at that wedding? Well, his mum was at that wedding. We know that because she got involved in that whole situation. His disciples were at that wedding and I assume a number of other people that he knew were at that wedding. At that wedding were the organisers of the wedding. At that wedding were the obviously couple at that wedding were the parents and the families and all that sort of stuff. So the question is, when Jesus changed water into wine, would there have been witnesses? And the answer to that is, obviously, yes. Even the servants, it says, who, who lifted, had to bring the wine around, would have seen exactly what had happened. And the question now is, what happened to all those witnesses? Were there no witnesses to testify of what he did there? Yes, they were. Why aren't the Pharisees questioning any of them? Why haven't they come around? Well, we don't know. Oh, well, let's have a look at someone else. John chapter 3, verse 27. You see, there was another fellow who came up at that particular time. And his name was John the Baptist. And no, he wasn't an independent Baptist. He used to go around baptizing people. John chapter 3, verse 27 says, And John answered, and this is John the Baptist, right? He came before Jesus and he's making all these, all these things about, about the, the coming one, the Lamb of God who was coming. John answered and said, A man can receive nothing except to be given him from heaven. You yourselves bear me witness that I said I am not the Christ. In other words, they were agreeing with him that he, he said, oh, Well, I'm, wasn't, I'm not the Christ, but that I am sent before him. He that hath the bride is the bridegroom, but the friend of the bridegroom, which standeth and heareth him, rejoiceth greatly because of the bridegroom's voice. This is my joy, therefore is this my joy is therefore fulfilled. He must increase, but I must decrease. He that cometh from above is above all. He that is of the earth is earthly, and speaketh of the earth. He that cometh from heaven is is above all. And what he hath seen and heard, that he testifieth. And no man receiveth his testimony. He that hath received his testimony hath set to his hath set to his seal 
that God is true. So, this is John the Baptist. John the Baptist is saying, well, I'm not the Christ. I've already told you this before, guys, and I know you understand that. But the one that's coming after me, the one that I'm pointing to, has come from heaven. And he's testifying of stuff that he's seen in heaven and from heaven. I can only testify about stuff that I've seen on the earth. But he, what he's telling you is coming straight from heaven. And he's the one that I'm pointing to. Who was he pointing to? Jesus Christ. Did they have a witness here that he was the Christ who came from heaven? The answer is yes. John the Baptist clearly testified that Jesus had come from heaven and that Jesus was the Savior. And they should have looked to him as their Messiah and King, but they refused. Not more. John chapter 4, verse 28. John chapter 4, verse 28. Jesus has an encounter with a Samaritan woman by a well. Okay, now the Jews and the Samaritans didn't actually get along very well. Um, they didn't. They hated each other. But Jesus has this encounter. And he asks the woman for some water, and then he gets some discussion with her. And then something happens. He starts telling her about her life, even though he's never met her before. And he tells her how many husbands she's had and stuff like that. And she freaks out. Right? She goes, "You must be the one." And then she goes back and runs back to her family and says, wait here, I'm going to go back and get my the people that I know. I'm going to come back. And so it says there in John 4.28, the woman that left uh, then left her water pot, so she ran and went her way into the city and saith to the men, come, see a man which told me all things that, I, that ever I did. Is not this the Christ? And many of the Samaritans of that city believed on him for the saying of the woman. She witnessed to them which testified, he told me all that I ever did. So when the Samaritans were come unto him, they besought him that he would tarry, which means stay with them. And, ab and he abode there two days. You love that? I love that situation. He has, a, he has like a side conversation with a woman. And then she is so blown away by what he said. She puts two and two together and she says, you must be the one. You must be the Messiah. How could you possibly know all this about my life? You've, I've never met you. So she goes and testifies about him in, in the city and they all come back and they want him to stay. Now, how many Samaritans do you think may have been there? Okay, for a city to be, to be converted in that particular way. Many of the Samaritans believed her testimony that Jesus was the Messiah. The question now is, did the Pharisees believe their testimony? Surely what, what they saw and believed would have gotten back to the Pharisees. But the question is, are, you, are the Pharisees going to accept the testimony of the Samaritans? The answer is no. You see, a dog can't be a witness. And they saw the Samaritans as dogs, okay? Less than themselves, all right? Because they were a mix. They were a mix of Jewish and other races. And so they hated them. All right, because they had formed their own, they've mixed, they'd mixed up uh, their their religion with other things, and the Jews despised them. All right, that's why Jesus gave the Samaritan as an example of someone who was doing good, because that really freaked them out. How can a, a Samaritan be a good person? Right. So the question is, did they have witnesses? Yeah, plenty of witnesses so far, but they weren't accepting any of them, including a whole city of the Samaritans. So. We now have 
Jesus also healing the son of a nobleman. Look at verse 48 in John chapter 4. So he goes to Cana and there's this rich guy, a nobleman from that town, whose son is dying. Okay, And he says to Jesus, please come to my house. I've heard about you. I need you to come to my house. My son is dying. Please come. I need you to come now. Jesus says in John chapter 4, verse 48, Then Jesus said unto him, Except ye see signs and wonders, you will not believe. And so, without even going to the guy's house, he says, Relax, your son's okay now. And the man went back home and sees his son okay. Asked his servants, When did, when was, did my son get better? And the, the scriptures tell us that he actually realized it was the same time that Jesus had told him, your son's better. Um, is that a testimony? Surely that guy, if he wanted a witness, was a fantastic witness about Jesus. Did they believe him? Obviously not. In John chapter 5, we have Jesus healing a crippled man who had been lame, the scriptures say, for 38 years. Right? This guy, has a, his friends have to carry him around. All right? And then he gets to Jesus and Jesus comes across him. And Jesus says to him, um, pick up your bed and go home. And the guy, after being crippled for 38 years, gets up, grabs his bed, starts walking home. You reckon there were witnesses there? Yes, there were witnesses. Now... The Jewish priests, the Pharisees, the scribes, the Sadducees, the lawyers, see this guy walking down the street with his bed, right? And it's a Saturday. And what aren't you allowed to do on a Saturday? Bring your bed, apparently. You can't go taking your bed anywhere. They got upset. They see this guy walking down the street. Hang on a sec, what's that guy doing? He's walking down the street, he's holding a bed. That's forbidden can't be walking down the street with a bed, right? So they go and they go, what are you doing here? And he says, oh, I'm going home. And they said, who told you to pick up your bed and go? And he says, well, I don't even know. I don't know him, right? And later on, they find out that it's Jesus and they get so upset. They tell him off, right? Mind you, look at the, look at the, the, what the way they were thinking. They're telling off a guy who was crippled for 38 years for taking his bed on a Saturday, taking it home. They didn't ask him, how did you walk again? They didn't say, hang on a sec, I've seen you every day in front of that pool over there. Well, what are you doing walking around? Were you like, they didn't ask that. They asked him, why were you carrying your bed? Were they blind? Yeah, they were blind. Did they accept his witness? No. And why wouldn't they accept his witness? Well, they had this thing going on where they believe that, you know, if you were someone with a, an illness, if you were a cripple or if you were blind or if you were deaf or if you were mute, they thought that you must have been a really bad sinner, right? Because God does that to bad people. And so this guy who was a cripple taking up his bed, they had two reasons to tell, say this guy was not worthy to be a witness because obviously God had cursed him and his family for their sinfulness, and two, he's breaking the law by bringing his bed around all over the place on a Saturday. 
Did they accept his witness? No. Did they accept the witness of everyone around him that would have known him? No. At this point in the scriptures, they get so upset with Jesus because they found that it was him that told them to take up his bed. The Bible says they wanted to kill him. Look at verse 16 of John chapter 5. John chapter 5, verse 16. It says there, And therefore did the Jews persecute Jesus and sought to slay him, because he had done these things on the Sabbath day. But Jesus answered them, My father worketh hitherto. My father is working up to this point, and I'm working. Therefore to kill him, even more, because he not only had broken the Sabbath, but said also that God was his father, making himself equal with God. Now that was when they started to cotton on that he was making a claim that he was God in the flesh. And they were not going to have a bar of that. He was break surely if he's God. If surely if he came from God, he wouldn't be making people carry beds on a Saturday. Right? So they were convinced in their own mind that he was not who he said he was. Now we go to chapter 6, and Jesus feeds 5,000 people. 5,000 people with some loaves and some bread, right? And he then walks on water. And you think there might have been, how many witnesses do you think there would have been of that? There would have been at least 5,000, okay? As well as the people who saw him walking on water. Were these witnesses of these miracles not enough for them to believe? Obviously not. But something was happening. Because if you go to John chapter 7, verse 25, you'll notice something. Something was shifting. And this was becoming more and more of a problem for these guys. Because they had to shut him down somehow. Because he was threatening their whole monopoly. He was threatening their system. They, had a, they were living the good life. They were in charge, telling everyone else what to do. They were the richest, probably, in their society. They had the respect of everyone. And now, all of a sudden, Jesus is going around doing these miracles. They're following him rather than following us. And he's criticizing us. John chapter 7, verse 25 says, Then said some of them of Jerusalem, Is not this he whom they seek to kill? But lo, he speaketh boldly, and they say nothing unto him. Do the rulers know indeed? that this is the very Christ? Howbeit we know this man whence he is. But when Christ cometh, no man knoweth whence he is, from where he comes from. Then cried Jesus in the temple as he taught, saying, Ye both know me, and ye know whence I am. And I am not come of myself, but he that sent me is true, whom ye know not. But I know him, for I am from him, and he hath sent me. Then they sought to take him, but no man laid hands on him because his hour was not yet come. And many of the people believed on him and said, When Christ cometh, will he do more miracles than these which this man hath done? Now that's a legitimate question, isn't it? When Christ comes, will he do more than this guy? Feeding thousands, healing cripples, raising people from the dead. Could he possibly be doing more? Isn't, aren't these things witnesses of who he actually is? Why were they so unbelieving? It says here that they were convinced because they knew where he came from. They grew up in Nazareth, okay, Galilee. 
We know his family. We know the synagogue he even went to. How can this guy tell us that he's from heaven? He's a liar. He's a deceiver. He's not from heaven. Did they know? No. They simply put two and two together and they they assumed he was making the whole thing up. You know, sometimes people are so caught up with their own logic that they can't see anything else outside of it. In other words, anything that contradicts their beliefs, they can't accept it. There's actually a psychological term for that, believe it or not. It's called confirmation bias. Okay, It's this notion, and they see this all the time with people, so it's not a big deal. They see this all the time. You know when people become convinced of something, right? Like Carlton's the best football team, that sort of stuff there, right? Um, you don't see anything else that might contradict your particular belief. And so if something contradicts it, you just push it to the side. You don't take much notice of it. But anything that even looks close to actually backing up what you're saying, you take it in and you say, see, that confirms what I'm... Well, that's the problem with everyone, isn't it? And that's a problem with these guys. These guys had confirmed to themselves, we know this guy, we know where he's come from, we know his family, we know where he, where, where he grew up, therefore, he says he's from God, therefore he's alive. Did they bother to ask anything else? No. Did they bother to check all the, the, the things that he did and the people that had witnessed all the miracles? No, because nothing now was going to convince them otherwise. doesn't matter how many testimonies of people, how many people got saved, how many people who were blind who could now see, how many people that were lame who could now walk, doesn't matter what, they always found the problem. It wasn't the guy who took up his bed to walk. What was the problem? That he walked with his bed on a Sabbath. So therefore, they completely ignored what the real thing was. Doesn't matter how much evidence, how many testimonies would come before them, they were not going to believe. And their eyes were shut, their ears were, were stopped. And the only solution that they could see was to get rid of him. They had to stop him. They had to bury him because he was causing them a whole lot of problems. So Jesus responds to them when they say that your testimony is a lie, even though they they had to disregard a huge amount of other testimonies. Look how Jesus responds in verse 14 of John chapter 8. He says, in John chapter 14, Jesus answered and said unto them, Though... I be record of myself, yet my record is true. For I know whence I came. I know where I'm from and whether or where I'm going, but you can't tell whence I am come and whither I go. You judge after the flesh, which is exactly what they were doing. I judge no man. And yet if I judge, my judgment is true. For I am not alone, but I am the Father that sent me. It is written in your law that the testimony of two men is true, which means if you've got two independent witnesses... You know, in a court, it's they're, they're gathered as true. It's taken as true. That's why the Bible always says, by the mouth of two or three witnesses shall everything, everything be established. Jesus is saying, well, in the law, it says that if you've got two independent witnesses, two witnesses, it's true. And he says here, I am one. There's one that beareth witness of myself. 
and the father that sent me beareth witness of me. Then said they unto him, Where is thy father? And Jesus answered, You neither know me nor my father. If you had known me, you should have known my father also. What's interesting about this particular encounter that he has with these guys is that he's had this discussion before. They've brought this up before to him. Go back to John chapter 5 with me. Look at verse 36. He's had this discussion. We've been around this merry-go-round already. And they've gone back to the same place. Why? Because they've got nowhere else to go. John chapter 5 verse 36. Because now he tells them, well, what about John the Baptist? He was testifying about me. You didn't listen to him, did you? And he says in verse 36, But I have a greater witness than that of John, for the works which the Father hath given me to finish, the same works that I do, all those miracles, bear witness of me that the Father has sent me. You've got plenty of evidence. And the Father himself, which hath sent me, hath borne witness of me. Ye have neither heard his voice at any time, nor seen his shape. And ye have not his word abiding in you. For whom he has sent, him ye believe not. He's talking about himself. Search the scriptures. For in them ye think ye have eternal life, and they are they which testify of me. Jesus was clearly saying, All right, you don't want to believe the various witnesses because you think that none of them are trustworthy. But what about the works that I do? Look at my works. Examine them to determine whether, whether I'm saying whether it's true or not. And then he says, not only do the works point to who I actually am and my identity, he goes, but the Father has testified of me too. And all the scriptures testify of me too. So he's got the Father testifying of him, all his works testifying for him, and the whole of the scriptures testifying about him, yet they would not believe it. Now, how does the Father testify of Jesus? Well, if you remember, when he was baptized, goes down under the water, comes up, the Holy Ghost comes down, and the voice says, this is my beloved Son, in whom I am well pleased. And then, again, you see, there was a place called what we call the Mount of Transfiguration. They go up, a, go up to this mountain, and there's Peter and James and John. He brings three witnesses with him, right, who watch what's going on. And then he's up there, and while they're there, he gets transfigured. He starts glowing. And they see Moses on one side of him and Elijah on the other. And they're talking with him. Two witnesses, by the way. The Bible speaks about those two witnesses, Moses and Elijah, coming back. And you know what it calls them in the book of Revelation? The two witnesses. And these two are with Jesus. And he's transfigured in front of them. His glory, he, he, he unwraps himself a bit so they can see his glory. And they are, they are blown away by what they see. And so you have Peter, James and John who witness him. You have um, Moses and Elijah. And then at that same time, there's a voice that comes from heaven. And it says, this is my beloved son. In whom I am well pleased, hear ye him. Why were Moses and Elijah so important? Well, the Bible says that 
Moses and Elijah not only come back as the two witnesses, but they represent the law and the prophets. Turn to Romans chapter 3 with me. Is it getting a bit warm in here? Should we open up the windows a bit more? I'm almost done. Now, I want you to consider, up to this point, there was no New Testament, okay? They only had the Old Testament, and they called it the Law and the Prophets, all right? So Romans chapter 3, verse 21, Paul's arguing here, but now the righteousness of God without the law is manifested. In other words, it's arrived, it's here, we've seen it. It's Jesus Christ being witnessed by the law and the prophets. They all pointed to him, okay? Even the righteousness of God, which is by faith of Jesus Christ, upon all, unto all, and upon all them that believe, for there is no difference. So God grants his righteousness to a person by simply believing in Jesus, to everyone. It doesn't matter where you're from, doesn't matter what your past is, doesn't matter what what you've done in the past, God can cleanse you of every sin that believe in the name of the Son of God, that you may know that you have eternal life and that you may believe on the name of the Son of God. So he wants people to believe in the name of the Son of God and he wants those who have believed in him to know that they have eternal life. And I'm going to share with you one more passage. Just go back a few verses just to close this thing off. 1 John 5, 6. Because we're going to be looking at now who bears record? Who is the witness? 1 John 5, 6. It says, This is he that came by water and blood, even Jesus Christ, not by water only, but by water and blood. And it is a spirit that beareth witness, because the spirit is truth. For there are three that bear record in heaven, the Father, the Word, and the Holy Ghost. And these three are one. If you don't have a King James, you don't have that verse. Okay? And there are three that bear witness in earth, the spirit and the water and the blood. And these three agree in one let's just stop there you'll notice it says that the spirit beareth witness that the three bear record and that there are three on the earth that bear witness so bearing witness and bearing record is the same thing as testifying they're all the same thing okay in fact in the greek it's the same word as well in heaven the the scriptures say here that there are three that bear record the Father, the Word, and the Holy Ghost. The Father, the Son, and the Holy Ghost, which is the Trinity. Now, why are they the only ones that bear record in heaven? Because if you've got God testifying, who else do you need? God does not make any mistakes. He sees perfectly. He records perfectly. He witnesses perfectly. He is the only one you need for a witness. In fact, there's your three witnesses in one. Okay. On the earth, it says, though, there are three that bear witness. And it says it's the Holy Ghost, the water, and the blood. Now, there are a number of views about whether what those things are, but all of them point to the fact that Jesus shed his blood on the cross. And the water, whether it's the water of the word or the water of baptism, when, when people get, get saved and they get baptized, is testifying to everyone else about what Jesus has done for them. 
still pointing to the fact that God has saved them. But you'll notice that there's one thing in, in particular which is common, which is the Holy Ghost. Now, hang on a sec, but it says the Holy Ghost is in heaven, right? The Father, the Son, and the Holy Ghost are in heaven. And this is on the earth. The Holy Ghost is there too. Well, that is true because he is the one who testifies about Jesus now. He is the one who speaks to people and speaks to their heart, convinces them of sin, of judgment, and his righteousness. Jesus promised that when the Holy Ghost arrived, listen to Jesus' words in John 15, 26. Just stay where you are. You can just write this one down if you want to go there next time. Um, but when the Comforter is come, this is Jesus speaking, whom I will send unto you from the Father, even the Spirit of truth, which proceedeth from the Father, he shall testify of me. And ye also shall be witness, because ye have been with me from the beginning. He tells the disciples, you're going to be my witnesses too. He's going to testify about me to the world and you're going to testify about me and this is our challenge and this is what I want to leave with you today 1st John 5 9 now just go to the very next verse it says if we receive the witness of men if we if we receive the testimony of people the witness of God is greater than the testimony would you agree with that amen for that because people lie people have people that don't say the truth they don't see all they don't have all the details but God's witness is perfect for this is the witness of God which he hath testified of his Son about Jesus. He that believeth on the Son of God hath the witness in himself. He that believeth not God hath made him a liar, because he believeth not the record, the testimony, that God gave of his Son. And this is the record, that God hath given to us eternal life, and this life is in his Son. He that hath the Son hath life. And he that hath not the Son of God hath not life. There are only two types of people in this world. There are those who have the Son and there are those who don't. How do you get the Son? Well, you just put your trust in him to save you. Do you believe wanting to live lives that shine like lights in this world so that people can see the difference in us and what Christ has wrought within us. Be that witness today. And if there, if this morning you don't know, if you don't know, if you've, if you've believed in Christ, if you don't know if you've received eternal life, please don't leave this place without making sure, without making that, or receiving that gift. There is no more precious thing that you will ever receive in your life than receiving eternal life because it's something that you will never lose. God bless you all. Remember to bear witness. Thank you.